Yes. Rolling sound, quiet. Sweet. Good day, good world, and welcome to Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. I'm your host, Josh Dassel, and in this podcast, we talk about films outside the major categories, and in season one, that means the often nail-biting, always fascinating subgenre of submarine movies. In this episode, we're gabbing about a World War II-era classic from 1958. It's an undersea actioner starring the mustachioed gentlemanliness of Clark Gable and the square-jawed ferocity of Burt Lancaster. Directed by The Sound of Music's Robert Wise, we're talking Run Silent, Run Deep. And with me today to break things down is our guest host. He is a fellow director and screenwriter, he of the Oscar-nominated short film Johnny Flinton, and the Justin Lin feature film Better Luck Tomorrow, and frankly, just a genuinely wonderful human being. It's Fabian Marquez. Hello, Fabian. Hello, Josh. Thank you for that fantastic intro. You are welcome. Well-deserved. And let me just say, I am very, very happy to be doing this show with you. I have wanted to do something with you for a very long time, and I'm very happy that it's this. Oh, same here. I think this is uh, this is long in the making, and I hope it's the fir- uh, first of many more. Uh, me, me also. And I have to ask, because I, I think I probably ask you when I ask you to do the show, but how do you feel about submarine films? Are you a submarine film guy or, or is this kind of a kind of a new thing to you? You know, the opportunity to do this with you pretty much forced me to confront the fact that I love submarine movies. I've always loved them. I just never really put myself in a category as like, you know, I'm a submarine film lover. <laughs> but, you know, this exercise has has made me completely come to terms with that fact. And, and frankly, I'm I'm more than okay with it. The fact that you love submarine films really just proves that you're that you're human, and and I'm happy to know that. <laughs> well, there was there was some doubt at some point, but uh, <laughs> my my humanity now is is not in question. Well, now that we got two human beings talking about submarine films, let's uh, let's talk just a little bit about this film about Run Silent, Run Deep, and uh, what do we know about it? So. I had never seen this film, and thanks to you, um, this gave me an opportunity to check it out. Um, For those who don't know, well, as you set up briefly uh, earlier, this is a World War II movie. It's from 1958. It takes place almost exclusively on a submarine called the Nurka, which is a fantastic name. (laughs) It's got a little bit of Moby Dick. It's got a little bit of Mutiny on the Bounty to it. And it's just a super cool addition to the submarine subgenre. Part of that is because of its street cred. It was adapted from a novel written by a real-life submarine commander, Edward L. Beach. He drew inspiration for the book from his own experiences serving on two submarines during World War II before taking command of his own sub, the USS Piper. A nuclear sub. A nuclear sub. That's how cool he was. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he was, you know, he's basically an overachiever. And then after that, he became a New York Times Best-selling author, of course, as as one does after you know doing all of yeah. that in World War II. Yeah, he's only twenty-five, you know, or twenty-six by the time he's doing this. But the movie, you know, because of its, it, it was a huge success. It was a bestseller, and it got the A-list treatment from Hollywood, uh, as you mentioned. Cast-wise, it has a fantastic cast: Clark Gable, Burt Lancaster, Jack Warden, and Don Rickles in his feature film debut. His first a, movie, Mister Warmth, in his first movie. 
And he is warm in this. He's all smiles. Yeah, although you do get a little bit of that edge, that, that Rickles edge coming through. Ab- absolutely. And, and let's, let's not forget the fact that, that when this movie premiered, and I think it was like in April of 58, it premiered not on Hollywood Boulevard, not at Man's Chinese, not in New York. It premiered on a submarine in, uh, in, in the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I think it was off, off the coast of California. But, but I had all these, you know, all the, the stars I would imagine in the tuxedos heading down into a submarine to watch the show. How do you do that? How do you get, how, how many people can you fit into a submarine? How do you put a movie screen in a submarine? It's a wonderful question. I'm sure if we have any submariners listening, they're going to let me know. But I think that uh, that gets us to the right time to be talking about our feature presentation. So our feature presentation obviously is Run Silent, Run Deep. Uh, Run Silent, Run Deep is a submarine film that really focuses around this story of a U.S. sub commander who is just obsessed with sinking this Japanese ship that had blown up his previous one. And to be able to do that, he's got to butt heads with a, with a first officer uh, who, who really isn't thrilled about that prospect. So it's, it's 1942. Uh, Rich Richardson, uh, Commander Rich Richardson, excuse me, uh, who is played by Clark Gable, is the former sub-captain. Uh, the Akakaze is the name of the Japanese ship that had blown him up in a place called... The Bungo Straits. The Bungo Straits, which if there was ever a, a wonderful place for, for there to be, I don't know, sub battles and old folks home, I, the Bungo Straits sounds like it. Uh, it's what I want to name my kids, uh, Bungo Straits. <laughs> Or a band? A bu- a band I think it's a band. I think we should start a band. It's Bungo Straits. <laughs> so you got you've got Rich Richardson, uh, basically a desk jockey. Now he's assigned to a desk in Pearl Harbor. He spends most of his time playing out this same battle, or maybe maybe a better version of this battle with the fake ships on his desktop. Um, usually helped out by actor Jack Warden playing Yeoman First Class. Uh, is it Mueller? Mueller? I think it's Mueller. I just it's got Mueller. Mueller on the brain from 2020, but I think it's Mueller. <laughs> it's Mueller. Yeah, he's 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 there pushing around ships, and uh, and Mueller just happens to mention, you know, if you were looking to captain another ship, there's this boat called the Nurka that's coming into port, uh, doesn't have a captain, and, uh, you know, you might think about that. And and Clark Gable's uh, thumbs up about it. Yep. He's like, well, tell me more. <laughs> but, but who is not thumbs up about it is the XO soon-to-be captain, or at least he thinks so, of the Nurka, uh, Lieutenant Jim Bledsoe, played by Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. Absolutely. And, and joined, of course, as we mentioned, by Don Rickles, who is, like the rest of the crew, so excited that the captain, or sorry, that the XO is going to become their captain. It's a great scene. They throw him like, it's almost like a birthday party. It's like they, they kind of do a little bit of misdirection and then, and then they reveal that he's got his, his special like captain's jacket. And it's, it's like a really great you know, celebratory moment. And then, and then, and then comes what I like to refer to as the powdered milk moment, which is the, was it, is it the commander? Is it the it fleet commander or something? I, I'm not sure I figured out who the guy was, but the boss shows up and says, ah, you know, Jim, let's talk over here in the, uh, in the kitchen on the ship. And uh, yeah, we'll make some powdered milk uh, while yeah. we talk about this. And I tell you that you're not getting command. And instead it's going to go to uh, the guy who asked me five minutes ago. Nothing like a, a stiff glass of milk to help the bad news go down. Yeah, that's what I have. It's what I'm having right now. I'm having a stiff glass of milk. 
It was the most fifties by way of forties way to handle this. You know, he literally asked him, do you have milk? And and this is as they pass the, the, the picture of the pinup that they have up on Mm -hmm. the wall. And he has to, he kind of embarrassingly has to tell him like, Oh, the guys put this up and we, 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 we pat her for good luck as we go by. And he's like, where's my milk? <laughs> so we, we pat the pin up on the behind. We grab a glass of milk and we find out that Clark Gable will be serving as captain uh, when this ship goes back out. Not you, Lieutenant Jim Bledsoe. Yes. Yes. So doesn't go over well. Uh, Bledsoe's not happy, confronts uh, Richardson at his home, but ultimately it is what it is. And so we're, we're in our first days at sea. Richardson is announcing orders to the crew it ends up that uh, they are not going on a pleasure cruise that they are actually going to what is called area seven not a good neighborhood uh right but but he points out not the bungo straits not the bungo not not the worst part of the bad neighborhood yes he's uh he's steering away from that dangerous thing that we as an audience just know he's never going to go back to. See, he's not going back there. He got sunk before, right? Wink, 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 wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rich uh, gets the crew working hard. He says, hey, we're going we're gonna to spend all of our time not doing the normal stuff that you guys are used to doing. We're going to start practicing this one particular drill. And it's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? It's oddly specific. <laughs> yeah. It's, got, it's, it's, it's all about timing it's about diving with uh getting the dive down to 32 seconds 32 seconds uh, popping the periscope down you know later than they normally would um and the whole crew is a little bit flummoxed by the strangeness of of these drills that he keeps hammering at well the, that's because i mean they're playing chicken that's basically the drill right it's it's play it's find a destroyer and play chicken with it yep so we we find we find a destroyer that definitely isn't the Akakaze or a stand-in for it. We get it to turn towards us. Definitely not what we want the Akakaze to do later when when we when we definitely don't meet it. And then we figure out how to do that in the fastest way possible, which is as uh, as Rich Richardson has determined, thirty-two seconds. Yep. And so I mean the you know the situation's already kind of tense because the whole crew backs Bledsoe. They're kind of miffed that he got passed over by, you know, Richardson. And then on top of that, now he's doing these crazy drills. They don't understand why. And it's just escalating the tensions between the crew and the uh, skipper. Yeah. And it does, it doesn't get better uh, because a little while later they are, they're floating somewhere out around Japan. There is the opportunity to sink a Japanese sub and Rich lets it go. Yeah. He just, he just lets them fly and they're all looking at him like, what? Yeah, it's it's yeah our 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 captain who uh, has taken over for the guy we wanted to be captain does seem to be a color that is very similar to yellow in a yellow submarine in a yeah. yellow submarine yeah so we got the cowardly captain is what uh, what the word is exactly and so once again tension escalating they really know what they're doing here with this plot so if you're if you're branded a coward by your crew what do you do well you you figure out a way to prove you're not rich takes that chance with a second convoy that they come across. And by the way, as we go through this plot, we're going to be talking a lot about they found a convoy. That seems to be the repeating theme throughout this movie is let's find a convoy and then tweak what we've been doing to the previous one. Yeah, no, the convoys seem to be like like everywhere in this movie. It's like uh, they're more common than like Lululemon like ripoff uh, tights <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> so everywhere you turn, there's a convoy. So now you're right. Now he has a chance to kind of prove to the crew 
that he's not a coward when he sees this this other convoy. Yeah, and he says, hey, you know, guys, that drill you've been doing that uh, that you haven't been able to do in 32 seconds, here comes a real boat. Let's try it now. And so they they do what they need to do uh, to get the boat to turn towards them. It's a it's an attack boat. It, it heads head on into the submarine. The guys uh, put the drill into action. And by golly, if they don't pull it off, destroy the attack boat and do it in how long, Fabian? 32 seconds. 32 seconds. Uh, but everyone sort of like remarks on the fact that this was a bow shot, which is extremely unusual, extremely difficult and risky. So why would he do a bow shot? Yeah, but they did it, but they did it. And so even though there are questions as to why are we doing this, the fact that they did it, I think maybe brings that crew back around to having some confidence if they had none before uh, in this captain. You know, just to pause, I think it's interesting though that you, you your takeaway was that he did it Richardson did it to prove that he's not a coward for me. Like my take on it is that he didn't care at at any point what his crew thought. I mean, a little bit, but not enough to change his game plan. I think he did it because he wanted to do target practice on an actual ship. Like he felt like they drilled well enough and he said, all right, let's, uh, let's put this into practice. Oh no. Oh no. I absolutely think you're right. I mean, let's, let's not, let's not get it twisted. Clark Gable in this movie (laughs) plays a captain who definitely is not playing with a full deck and, and it is, is will do stuff just because that's what he wants to do. But I, I did kind of get the feeling of it was, it was a convenient way also because he can't drive the ship himself. Is this a trope of submarine movies? Is a, a, a sub skipper that isn't playing with a full deck? Oh, I, you know, it could be. It could be. I can think of a few others that might be coming up in this season that, that, may, actually, uh, that may actually come back to that. I'll um, be tuning in for that. Yeah, you should. You sh- I will be. I'm, I'll be. I'll be happy <laughs> to hear how those turn out. <laughs> so so they, the, the crew is like, okay, yeah, we, our captain's good. The captain's like, yeah, great. We figured out how to kill this ship. The one guy who still hasn't quite gotten on board, maybe not one guy, but at least the, the biggest guy that hasn't gotten on board uh, is Bledsoe, and he decides to do something about it. Yeah, he, uh, he marches in there and, and confronts Rich about his plans. And basically Rich is like, yeah, I, I know you don't care, and, uh, and, and yeah, not only are we going to Area 7, but, but you, know, you figured it out. We are going to the Bungo Straits uh, to go find this this destroyer, the Akakaze. Yep, you figured me out. Oh no, Bledsoe's like, dude. I know your your ship sunk, and I, you probably have this obligation to the the people that were with you. And Rich is like, yeah, of course, I got this obligation to the people that were with me. We were blown up, and that was I was the captain, and I I feel bad. But Bledsoe kind of reminds him, you know, yeah, you had a you had a, a dead crew, but you kind of have a live crew now. It was a strong moment, and he and he and he says, you know, if you if you care then you should tell the crew what we're doing. Go ahead, I dare you. Never never dare A, a, a submarine captain, and B, Clark Gable, uh, to do anything, because I, I kind of have this feeling that they're wired to do it. He'll, he'll take any dare. Yeah, yeah, and he does. The, the, immediately uh, pushes the intercom button, uh, uh, you know, calling all cars, calling all cars. You, you thought we were going to Area 7? We're going to the Bongo Straits. Everybody strap in, end of message. Which, honestly, it's one of my favorite sequences in the movie after that happens because they do this beautiful chain of, of moments where the word is spreading through the sub and everyone's just like, bungo straights, bungo straights. And they're just cutting from room to room, person to person, passing along, and you just see the chill run through the whole sub 
the, of where they're actually going, which, as I said earlier in the film, it's a one-way ticket. No one comes back from the Bungo Straits. So it's this dawning sense of dread that's looming over the boat. Yeah, and that moment, I, I I agree with you. Like that moment stuck with me. I love it as they're as they're sort of playing this game of telephone as as it goes back through the sub. And a just cool moment, but yeah. but B, I think we 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 talked about in the um, previous episode, or I or had a conversation around um, uh, when we were talking about Hunt for Red October and other sub movies about geography on submarines and in submarine movies. And there are some movies where you don't really get a good sense of the geography within a sub of where things are and where people are and how they relate. And I, to me, this scene gave you this perfect uh, uh, geographical line of it's this compartment, then this compartment, then this compartment from front to back. Absolutely. I love that they, they created a monster out of the Akakazi and then they created the monster's lair, which is the Bungo Straits. And it just creates this awesome kind of mythology uh, aspect to it. And, um, and you're right. I mean, to your point, there's a, even a scene where Burt Lancaster takes the cartographers, you know, he tells the cartographer to finish charting and he grabs the map off the table and marches it over to Clark Gable. And literally we as an audience get to see, okay, this is wow. Okay. Now we know we're in it. And, and when you, when you do that, when you create monsters, sometimes the villagers will revolt. And, and that is, that is sort of what happens because you've got the these officers that pull Bledsoe aside later and say, uh, "Yeah, this is we're not going to do this. You need to step up, and you need to essentially there needs to essentially be a mutiny, and and you need to take over uh, for this captain and not do this." And Bledsoe says, "No." He he respects the chain of command, and uh, he has this. There's this great. I'm not sure who said the line, but this idea. I think it was Bledsoe who says something about you know. There's only one captain uh, for right. the ship. You know, interestingly, though, too, is that Clark Gable uh, was in Mutiny and the Bounty or one of the adaptations of Mutiny in the, on the Bounty in like the 30s. So it was kind of cool to see him kind of revisit similar terrain, but, you know, yeah. in the opposite role. Yeah. Like, and, and John Gay, the screenwriter, John Gay, uh, did did some some uncredited uh, writing on Mutiny on the Bounty. I think same film. So you got this. You got this great. You got this great mutiny connection. We and I'm sure that we're going to talk a little bit more about about the the mutiny connection in this film. But after after Bledsoe is like, no, I'm not going to do this. You know, even even Rich is sort of wondering to himself, or maybe out loud to Mueller. You know, like, am I being a fool? And Mueller confirms, no, you're not. This is sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So that is what takes us to the Bungo Straits. So we the the Nurka shows up in the Bungo Straits, which by the way, there is no Bungo Straits. Um, there's it's, a bungo. There's a bungo channel. There's the bungo channel. There's a bungo channel. I think you get that when you get the uh, the HBO package. You get the bungo channel. Um, but <laughs> that's they a after that's like a Cinemax after dark kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. I used to watch the bungo channel in high school. But <laughs> but the <laughs> but the Nurkis shows up in the bungo straits and and by golly if the Akakaze isn't there and they do exactly what they did with the gunboat from before and they draw this thing into a head-on confrontation, but. There are planes there. There are uh, uh, ships that seem to know that the Nurka was going to be there, and they shouldn't have known that. And and so the the Nurka is caught in this big kind of a scrum that's going on. They a lot goes on. the The Nurka has to dive to avoid a torpedo that's actually turned around and come back on their own boat. The Akakazi's dropping depth charges, and the depth charges actually hit. Um, and damage the forward torpedo room, and in the process of uh, of doing that, Rich is knocked unconscious, and and some people are killed. So not yeah. not a good day on the sub. 
yeah, it's a heavy turn of events. Right. So to stop the attack, uh, you know, because you got to stop this somehow. You're, you got planes and boats and stuff going on. Bledsoe has an idea. And he says, we're going to send oil and gear topside. We're going to put it in the torpedo, te- uh, torpedo tubes and we're going to float it topside. Um, and that way they're going to think that we've been sunk. Because when you blow up, that stuff floats to the surface. And Rich makes this, you know, we'll call it a suggestion to be nice, but, but really just says that if you're going to do it, the dead men have to go too to complete the illusion. Yeah, it's kind of a dark, dark, grim, macabre moment, but um, but it makes perfect sense. And it works. The, the The Japanese see everything that flows to the top. You know, it it works. They say, "Hey, it's been sunk." They turn around, but the effect is that you you've got this crew that's now disheartened that they've had to send their their shipmates uh, out the torpedo tubes. Um, right about this time, there's this mystery Morse code message that starts being received by uh, by the ship, and I and you'll have to you'll have to. Tell me if I'm right about this, but it seemed like either was it nobody could figure out what they were saying. Is that what it was? Right, they couldn't decode it because it wasn't uh, in their language. I guess maybe. Is it, does Morse change from? Is it like sign language? Does it change from uh, from one country to another? It has to, right? It can't be universal in times of war. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. So there's a code. I called it Morse code. Maybe it's just code. There was there was some sort of other beep 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 code that came through. Right. Nobody's quite sure what it means. In thinking about it, and in and in kind of uh, uh, revisiting the scene of the explosion in the torpedo room, Rich faints. Doctor says uh, it wasn't just fainting. By the way, uh, Rich, you have this potentially fatal condition. And he's like, it, I can't name it. It's too many words for you to understand. He literally <laughs> says this, <laughs> but you've been contused and you should just lie down. <laughs> you just, you need to lie down or you're going to die. I can't tell you why, <laughs> but just trust me. You There's need a to name lie for down. It. Lots of words. Just take my, <laughs> just take my word. So, so he's, so he tells Rich, you're going to die if you don't relax. Rich is not the kind of guy to relax and says, okay, great. I got it. Don't, don't tell anybody I'm going to go back to what I'm doing. And even with the damage that they've sustained, Rich tries to return them to the Bungo Straits, right? He says, we've got, we've got this ship. It's still got torpedoes on the ship. We need to go and use them. That's why we are a ship of war. And it's just, it's a, it's a bridge too far for Bledsoe. Yeah, but Bledsoe's conscience uh, gets the better of him, and he he wants to turn the ship around, go back to Pearl. To which Rich tells him that uh, you do that, and I'll see that you're hanged for it. And Bledsoe has this wonderful line, and you get you get Burt Lancaster looking right at Clark Gable and says, "Then we'll hang together." Whoa! It's the moment where they either punch each other or kiss, and and <laughs> <laughs> and neither happened to my disappointment, I guess. But uh, but but cool moment nonetheless. It is right at that moment or just shortly thereafter that Bledsoe has taken command that the crew, throughout this movie, every so often we, we get the crew listening to, you know, da, 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 da. they're listening to music and the, the music that they can get that far out is coming from Japanese radio, which, if you, if you know your history, has uh, a DJ with Weather on the Ones named Tokyo Rose. It's really great. She's kind of like this very pleasant, very articulate um, DJ who... Um, delivers a sinister message. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. She's, she's, she's what, what uh, propaganda in a tube top or something. She's, she's the, the person who says, you know, why are you fighting for a country that doesn't love you? She's that voice. And, and now here's a hit from Benny Goodman. It's, it's that kind of thing, but she was a constant presence in world war two to servicemen that were out there was Tokyo Rose. And there she is on the radio. But uh, surprisingly to everybody, she says that 
the NERCA, names them by name, was sunk. And, oh, by the way, here are the names of the officers on the ship that went down with the ship, which is something that she really, really shouldn't know, including a nickname of one of the people on the crew, uh, which how in the world does she know that? Uh, Excuse me, how in the world does she know that? Bledsoe doesn't know the answer to that, but realizes if the Japanese think they are sunk, then they have an advantage, and uh, he makes a decision. Dun, dun, dun. And that decision is, they're going back to the Bungo Straits. And that seems like a good time to take a break. We'll be back. If you've listened to other podcasts, and really by this point, we're going to assume you have, then you've probably heard our name, Kabunki, the silliest name in superb podcasts and creative video. We produce the shows you can't wait to binge, like the acclaimed Art Curious podcast. And of course, this thing, can we call it a show? Oh, sure we can. Subgenre. But did you know we're also available to creatively consult on your podcast too? That's right. We're here to turn your hobby into a professional-grade production that sounds just like the storytelling, discussion, or investigative podcast you download, all with help from our award-winning team. Treat your show seriously and get noticed with help from Kabunki. Mention this ad to get 10% off your first consultation. Find out more at kabonki.com. That's kabunki.com. Kabunki.com. Kabunki. That's going to leave a mark. You're listening to Subgenre. We are talking about Run Silent, Run Deep with Fabian Marquez. How you doing, Fabian? You sticking in there? I'm loving it. This is so great. I'm ready to hop into a sub. Yeah, let's hop into a sub. As a matter of fact, maybe we should hop into a subplot. Subplot detected. So in Run Silent, Run Deep, there are multiple subplots. I think I'm going to focus on a couple of them, a couple of the, the two major ones to me. And the first one is about, is about Jesse. Uh, what do we know about Jesse? Well, first of all, he looks like exactly like Owen Wilson. <laughs> so well, we, should, we should probably set this up. Jesse is a sailor on the Nurka, right? Yeah. yeah okay. We, he's like the squeaky, innocent, you know, young guy. And uh, he's kind of bumbling around as everyone's taking bets uh, before they've launched, before they've, they, they know they have Rich as the captain, but they don't know where they're going yet. So they're all taking bets on numbers. Yeah. And the, and the numbers are which area. So, apparently, you know, the whole, the whole ocean is divided up into areas, which area we're going to go to. Like area one is just off the coast of Hawaii and we're going to surf. And, you know, area 10 is Antarctica. And uh, uh, Jesse decides he's going to take uh, number seven because it's his birth date. And everyone looks at him like, you know, he, he cut one in the room. Uh, they're like, you picked seven. What are you doing? And he's like, that's a one-way ticket, buddy. And he's like, what do you mean one-way ticket? And they have to they have to break it to him. No one comes back from seven. Yeah, no, nobody comes back from seven. That's that's by the way where the Bungo Straits are, where the the captain that we have now, his sub got blown up. And and poor Jesse, this fresh faced kid, just like it was my birthday. That's why I picked it. I'm sorry. He tries to take it back too, and they won't let him. It's done. So no, he sealed done. his he sealed the fate. And he feels so bad for it. Over the course of the movie, he feels so bad. He feels so bad about it that he actually tells the guys that, you know, all the money that he won from them, he felt so bad about that he tossed all the money overboard, which, you know, some other people, I might not entirely believe that they did that. I totally believe Jesse did that. Oh, yeah. You know, he just was, he had tears in his eyes as he threw it overboard. He couldn't wait to get rid of that money. And of course, the fresh faced Jesse 
who picks Area 7 because it's his birthday, who throws away all the money he wins because he felt guilty in the end, is one of the sailors who is unfortunately killed when the torpedo room uh, blows up and floods in the front, and he's killed, oh my God, in this horrible, horrible shot. It's awful. Yeah, he's the only one that we see killed, and, and they they really saved it for him. I mean, he's he gets knocked to the floor. He's looking up at the ceiling just as a torpedo comes unmoored from its bracket and tips over, and this, like, whatever, 2,000-pound piece of metal falls right on top of him and squishes him. Yeah, yeah. and he's, it's just blood-curdling scream. It's awful. If you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie, maybe just for that shot, and then you'll, you'll be awake for three days. And, and even worse, if it's, not, if it's not bad enough for Jesse that that happens, that he's one of the bodies that gets put into the torpedo tubes and fired to the top, and it's just, it's a bad time for Jesse, but it, it's, a, it's a really interesting subplot, which then takes us to the second subplot in this thing, which I like even more than Jesse's, which is we've got this sailor... And for it, he'll forgive me for not remembering his name. If you remember, Russo. Who, oh, Russo, there we go. Uh, yeah. Whose, whose job is to dump the garbage. Yeah. Russo played by Nick Cravat, if I'm saying it right, who's an old buddy of Burt Lancaster uh, from the circus days. Burt started in the circus. This guy was a circus performer with Burt Lancaster and Burt took him along to all his movies and he never got a good role, a speaking role because of his thick Brooklyn accent. But here on the submarine, you know, show, the submarine boat makes perfect sense. This, you know, young guy with the thick accent would be on it. But yeah, but he's the guy, he's the kitchen guy. And he's taking all the trash, all the extra ballast that they don't need. And he's throwing it overboard, throwing it overboard. In fact, he almost gets stuck outside because he's so overzealous with his trash. I had no idea that the way on a, on a World War II submarine, the way that you dump your trash is you basically walk out on the top of the boat while it's surfaced out to the, somewhere out on the edge of it and then, and then just chuck the bags over just one after another. You chuck them into the ocean. But that apparently is, is, uh, is standard operating procedure. He's chucking bags into the ocean. We come to find out that the, uh, the Japanese know uh, where the Nurka is because they've been collecting these bags of garbage and have turned them over to Tokyo Rose. And that is how Tokyo Rose is able to know the uh, names of all the crewmen aboard. And, uh, and there's the, that great moment that you mentioned where, where he is outside dumping these things and the submarine decides to dive. And the poor bastard realizes that he's going to get stuck outside in the middle of the uh, Pacific and, and just desperately running to get, he's pounding on the, on the hatch and they, uh, they're almost submerged. He climbs to the very, very top where the periscope would be, and they they pull up just in time to open the hatch and pull him down, and, and the poor guy is half dead. He's scaling the uh, uh, the conning tower of the submarine like a like a jaguar going up a tree after an antelope. <laughs> you know, gets to the top of the thing, and and at the last second, everybody realizes anybody anybody seen uh, seen the the cook, the guy that went out with the trash. Anybody? <laughs> no. Oh, he's got to be outside. And they they rescue him and pull him down, but uh, uh, yeah, it's the it's the trash dump that gives away their position. That's what happens to me all the time. Your dumps give away your position constantly. Oh, good lord! Let's get back to talking about uh, the end of this movie. The Nurka has found the Japanese convoy. Uh, Bledsoe, who has taken over as captain from the original captain, uh, Rich Richardson, is now in the position of being there with the Akakaze. And uh, uh, he says, okay, well, what are we going to do then? So we're, we're, we're in the position to use this maneuver that Richardson has been training us for. We're going to do it. So they lure the Akakaze toward them. Of course, it turns right toward them, just like we've seen in the other in the other scenes. Rich torpedoes it and destroys the ship. 
blows it up, blows up the uh, Akukazi. It's a, it's a huge moment. Uh, Richardson is listening from his bunk, you know, where he's convalescing. And isn't it, it's kind of a shame, though, that it's not, it's not Richardson who gets to pull the trigger on the Akakazi. I mean, we'll talk about what he gets to do in a minute, but, but in that moment, the, the, the white whale, right, if we're doing the Moby Dick analogy, the white whale that he's been right. going after, he's not the one that gets to kill it. But, but it kind of pays off the whole, the whole reason that Bledsoe didn't back the mutiny. It's like, on some level, Bledsoe understood Rich's mission, and this yeah. was like sort of like this uh, symbolic you know, victory of carrying on in, in the stead of his uh, superior. Right. And, and even, though, even though Rich doesn't get this moment, and that's Burt Lancaster's moment, Rich does get to do something that ultimately is going to make things even even better and, and save this ship is he kind of figures out what's going on with the beep, beep, beep Morse code thing. It's the Japanese. And it's great. They have this audio effect where Rich is sort of haunted by this uh, recurring audio, whether you hear the Morse code and someone saying, what is it? What is it? What is it? It's repeated over and over again. So it is a great moment for him kind of not being in charge. He, he has the ability to, um, to figure out what's going on with the Morse code and realize that it's a submarine, another submarine out there in it's the water. It's a mystery submarine. It's, it's sending off messages. It knows where they are. And uh, right as Rich figures out that they're out there, they fire. So the, 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 mystery, the mystery submarine is, uh, is, is firing on the NERCA, right? And yes. uh, uh, they are, uh, the NERCA does what NERCAs do and evaded, evades the, the torpedo. And they get to this moment where, you know, we ha- we've had these games of chicken before where we're a submarine going head on with a, with a destroyer. And in this moment, it's both submarines go what you call silent running, right? Run silent, run deep. They go silent running. They kill their engines, make like holes in the water, and it's a standoff. And it's beautifully done. Uh, At the time, it was sort of uh, cutting edge special effects. It looks really good. It even, it kind of holds up to this day, even though if you look closely, you can see the the string kind of pulling the the miniature subs through the water, but it's really well done, uh, really well edited. Robert Weiss started off as an editor and you really could feel his chops here and how he cut up the action. And it was a very tense, very, you know, uh, climactic moment. Wasn't the climax yet, but it was a fantastic moment in the film where these two subs are trying to feel each other out in the darkness. Finally, Rich and Bledsoe realize this is going to go on forever unless we do something. And that's something that we can do is we can surface, we can attack the convoy. There's another convoy. We can surface and attack the convoy that's up there. The Japanese sub is going to have to start moving and come up to protect this convoy. And so that's what they do. And they, they, they surface, they, they get ready to fire. The Japanese sub comes into position behind the lead boat. So it's trying to conceal itself behind the lead boat. Yep, and they realize that if the Japanese sub is hiding behind a decoy ship, they can shoot at it uh, and get let it, the, the torpedo would pass under the decoy ship and hit the Japanese sub, uh, which is it was a really cool kind of gamesmanship moment. Um, so they do they aim two torpedoes at the decoy ship and fire away. And the and you you get this you get this very cool shot of the the Japanese commander. Uh, watching the decoy ship that's between him and the Nurka. And all of a sudden, here come two torpedoes underneath the front of this thing. And you, you get this look of realization on the Japanese commander's face. And I think his XO, who's standing right next to him, like, oh, man. And boom, hits the, hits the Japanese submarine, blows it to smithereens. All is safe. And the Nurka can return home safe and sound. 
everyone's joyous. They're, they're partying, you know, and uh, suddenly they, they hear airplanes and they realize that uh, they can't hang around here for too long. They need to submerge. And uh, just as they're about to do that, Richardson kind of collapses. Uh, he's, he's been up uh, topside helping and then suddenly he he gives out and buckles. And the disease which shall not be named <laughs> takes Rich from us on the uh, on the deck of the ship, and poor Rich collapses and dies because he's been he's been exerting himself too much. The doctor warns you, Rich. He dies in the end. He's buried at sea, uh, and and everything is wrapped up. Rich did get his revenge. There is no more Akakaze. Bledsoe rightly assumes command of the Nurka, and uh, Rich gets his good name back. And uh, that is Run Silent, Run Deep. Pretty decent, don't you think? I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic film. It's simple. I mean, when it comes to, to some of the other submarine movies that, that are out there and that, we, that we're going to talk about this season on subgenre, the plot itself is an uncomplicated plot. No, it's, it's very simple. I agree. It's extremely lean. It's like 90 minutes, maybe. It's, you know, it's, it's a very uh, efficient film, though. Like, all the little plot points, things that you don't think are really going to pay off, do pay off, and they pay off in bigger ways than, than you might even expect. Yeah, and, and it, it is this, it's refreshing. I'll say that. The, the leanness of this film, to me, having, you know, seen a lot of films within this genre and, and ones that can kind of get a little convoluted or have, like, multiple parts around the globe happening or whatever else, none of that happens here. It all takes place on the boat. It's only these sailors. There is one mission. They do it. They do it repeatedly and make little tiny tweaks to it. And then in the end, we have an ending. And that's yeah. nice. Yeah, it made perfect sense. You know, and there was a there was enough jargon to make it credible. Yes. There was enough, you know, you you felt like, yeah, these guys know what they're talking about. Clearly, this is based on a novel written by a, a well-respected Navy sub captain. Yeah, definitely. and they and they trained, they trained with real submariners. Robert Wise had them trained with real submariners. So it all came through, but not at the expense of of character and story. Really impressed. Yeah, I, w- I was too. And I, I think I think a lot of that, you know, as it always does, a lot of that comes down to the director and the writer and, and the lead performers, in which case director Robert Wise, writer John Gay, and leads Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster. The, the, let's start with the casting. The casting here is outstanding. The casting, yeah. the casting here is two Oscar winners. I mean, a little over there, Prime, but I didn't, I didn't mind. It didn't, it wasn't until after the fact, after I thought about it and sat with me that I was like, huh, Gable was 56 when he played a captain, a man his age uh, in the Navy would be like a rear admiral or something. Yeah. Um, you know, Heston was no, I mean, I'm sorry, Lancaster was no spring chicken. He was 44, also too old to be in that role, but you didn't care. You didn't mind. No. Um, everyone was, was a little older, even Rickles on the younger side at only 32 still it just it just works so well because as you said great actors who just sucked you into the moment made you suspend disbelief and and really believe in what you were seeing and this is this is two oscar not not just oscar nominated but oscar winning actors like gable gable got his for uh, it happened one night one of my favorite movies of all time, certainly one of my favorite comedies of all time with Claudette Colbert back in 1934, and Lancaster won his for Elmer Gantry in 1960. Yeah, it was splendid casting, and I love the I love the uh, connection to Mutiny on the Bounty with, with Gable. One of my favorite moments, though, was uh, very early in the movie. It was the only time that you're really in any kind of like... Um, you know, normal setting. He, we're at his home and you meet Richard's wife, <laughs> Rich, Rich's uh, wife as um, 
Bledsoe is coming to give him the business and, and to tell him he's not going to allow him to, uh, to, to take command of, of the Nurka. And he's up in a tree and he's got his sleeves rolled up and he's like, you know, about to spray like insect repellent on his lemon tree or something. And he and Bledsoe have this like total cool, like man to man fifties conversation. And, uh, and that, that was that was a moment where I was like, okay, movies like Crimson Tide, I could feel that how this was a precursor, how this informed the dynamic between like a Hackman and, and uh, Washington and other movies where you've got that, those two alpha males kind of staring each other down and and uh, trying to figure it out. Let's not gloss over the fact that the scene where, uh, where Lancaster comes to confront uh, Richardson is right after the powdered milk scene. Right. Immediately after. And and the beverage of choice at Clark Gable's house, uh, the wife is bringing out gin and lemonade. Yes. Yeah. She goes, oh, I, you have guests. I better bring out the lemonade. And he says, you better bring some gin, too. It's like, it, and, and I could almost hear the, you know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn swagger in the delivery of that line. It was great. And, and his wife played by actress Mary LaRoche, who if you are if you grew up on, you know, uh, a Sunday afternoon westerns like I did. You know, she was in all of them. She was in The Virginian and Gunsmoke and the rest of it and Wagon Train, you know. So you, she, uh, definitely, a, definitely a familiar face. But yes, the, the gin and lemonade moment, uh, I, I love to death. So the casting here, great. The, the uh, above the line crew, of course, Robert Wise is the director oh. here. Robert Wise yeah. of, uh, of, of both West Side Story and Sound of Music fame decides he's going to oh, yeah. be a submarine movie. Yeah, and and filling out the rest of the above the line crew here, we've got cinematography by Russell Harland, who uh, did among a lot of other things, To Kill a Mockingbird, Blackboard Jungle, films like that, and music by Franz Waxman, who did some of my favorite movies ever: Sunset Boulevard, Rear Window, Rebecca. Like he he is uh, Alfred Hitchcock's guy on call, or basically film noir's guy on call. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got an amazing cast. Uh, we've got great great writing. It. It is a it is a well rounded film. It is a solid submarine pick. I am very very uh, happy that that we are getting to talk about it because it's time for you can't handle the truth. This is our quiz portion of the show, and uh, today Fabian Marquez, uh, you are going to be playing for a vintage tin of powdered submarine milk, which is You're perfect for telling you that Clark Gable will be assuming your podcast duties. Oh my God, I have some bad news to tell someone and this is going to come in so handy. I hope I win. Are you, are you ready to play? I think so. Let's do this. All right, let's do this. Question one. Clark Gable famously won his only Oscar for Best Actor for, star, for his starring role in Frank Capra's 1934 comedy, It Happened One Night, opposite Claudette Colbert. The role reportedly had an immediate effect on men's fashion. What was it? Was it A... By showing his bare chest in the film, he made the sales of men's undershirts drop dramatically. B, he created a brief fad of men wearing and demanding storekeepers sell them mismatched pairs of socks. Hmm. Or C, little boys began painting on Clark Gable mustaches to sneak in to watch the film. Ooh, wow. I'm going to go with the uh, undershirts. By showing his bare chest in the film, he made the sales of men's undershirts drop dramatically. Yes, A. That is correct. Oh, he. Yes. There is a scene. There is a scene in the film, and it happened one night where he is sharing a room with Claudette Colbert. He takes off his shirt. There is no undershirt, as was the uh, uh, tradition at the time, and you get to see Clark Gable's uh, hairy nipples. Wow. Okay, now I need to watch that film. <laughs> that was good. You got you got the first one. You're starting off in a good way. 
All right. That's unbelievable. Okay. All right. Let's try question two. Though known for serious and straightforward roles like Lieutenant Jim Bledsoe in Run Silent, Run Deep, actor Burt Lancaster could be a little different off screen as demonstrated by which of these alleged Hollywood incidents? Was it A, he challenged Frank Sinatra to a ballpark hot dog eating contest and won by swallowing more than a dozen dogs and a fifth of vodka? Was it B, he once showed up at a Hollywood Oscar party spray-painted gold and wearing nothing but a G-string? Or C, he once put on a dress, grabbed a tray of cookies, and wandered Hollywood Boulevard pretending to be Donna Reed? (laughs) Yikes. Um, none of these are a good look. No, no. And if you need a hint, if you need a hint, I can give you a hint or you can try this one with no hint. I'll take a hint. All right. This is one prize. Moonlight is happy not to win. Uh, man. Okay. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and and do the, uh, the old high school trick and just go with B if I'm unsure. That is correct. What? Yes. Allegedly, allegedly, Burt Lancaster once showed up at a Hollywood Oscar party, spray-painted gold, and wearing nothing but a G-string to look like the Oscar man himself. The Oscar. Wow. Yes. Not his, not his idea, we should say. Uh, uh, Rock Hudson had done the same thing uh, a few years previous. What? Well, I kind of expect it from Hudson, to be honest. <laughs> Good job, though. You're, you, are, you are two of three at this point. Powdered milk, here I come. Powdered milk, here you come. Let's move to question three. Okay, bring it on. Future insult comic Don Rickles, who played quartermaster first class Ruby and Run Silent, Run Deep, wasn't originally slated to be in the film at all. He was offered the role only after what? Was it A, the original actor cast for the role, Frank Gorshin, ended up in a coma and woke four days later to discover the role had been given away? B, he bribed director Robert Weiss with actress Betty White's phone number? Or C, he was allowed to set up his homemade moonshine still on the set for refreshments. A, the, uh, the unfortunate actor who, who had a, a car accident. So A, the, uh, Frank Gorshin was in a coma and woke up to discover the role had been given away? Yeah, that one. You are three for three, Fabian Marquez. That is true. Frank Gorshin was actually in, uh, had, had been given the role of uh, Quartermaster Ruby, was in a car wreck, was in a coma for four days, and when he woke up, found out that the role had been given to Don Rickles. Ain't that a thing? Frank Gorshin, of course, uh, from Batman, played the Riddler oh, yeah. in the old Batman series. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, riddle me this. What have I been doing for half a week? <laughs> Fabian, you got three out of three. You, you have a perfect score. I'm very proud of you. Uh, and, and now I, I think you have a question to, uh, to try to stump me. Let, let's see if I can join you in the, uh, in the club of success here. Yes. One of the following statements is false. You need to tell me which one is not true. Okay. Statement number one, Great Britain's Royal Navy is notoriously frugal. So much so that their nuclear armed submarines still run on an outdated version of Windows XP that was commissioned <laughs> in the 90s. Not surprisingly, it's called Windows for Submarines. Statement number two, Colombian drug cartels have gotten so good at building submarines for smuggling cocaine, they've started to pimp these stealthy rides. Case in point, one recently seized narco sub was carrying uh, $17 million worth of cocaine, but it also had a Ducati motorcycle, a stripper pole, and two baby tiger cubs. Statement number three, In 1981, the captain of a Soviet whiskey-class submarine spying on Swedish naval operations suffered an unfortunate navigational error, which caused the sub to run right into some rocks. 
the embarrassing diplomatic incident became known as Whiskey on the Rocks. Oh, oh man. One of those statements is not factual. Can you guess which one? So, so A, uh, answer A was uh, uh, Windows for Submarines, British Navy right. running on Windows for Submarines. B yes. is, is the cartels pimping their submarines uh, with uh, Tiger Cubs and Ducati motorcycles. Right. And C was the Whiskey on the Rocks incident. Yes. Just because I want it to be true, I am going to go with B, that we are now pimping submarines. You're picking the false one. Oh, I got to pick the false one. I'm changing my answer. The false one is C, Whiskey on the Rocks. It's, it, oh, no. actually, it actually is the Colombian one is the No. The it's the lie. It's no. the one we all want to believe. I, w- I want to believe that there are submarines floating around with tigers in them. I Me just too. want that to be true. It's good news for you. You got, you got three out of three. I didn't get my question, but that doesn't matter. You're a winner, Fabian Marquez. Congratulations. You get the powdered hey, milk. The powder will go really well with my Colombian sub. Oh, <laughs> uh, Let's move to the deep dive. Right. The Deep Dive is a segment where we take a look at something, maybe it's related, maybe it's not to the film, really just something we want to chat about. Can we talk for a second about Don Rickles? Oh, yeah. Can we always. do that? I, I, I just, I, I never miss a chance to, to, to talk about Mr. Warmth, if I can, because <laughs> if you, dear listener, are not familiar with Don Rickles, uh, what are you doing with your life? Uh, Rickles, I mean, to the very end was just, uh, I mean, just an incredible human. Um, what, what's, what's great about Rickles is that his career, it was like wine. It just, it just continued to, to get richer and, and more savory. Well, let, let me, let me give a, let me give a, 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 a bird's eye view of Don Rickles, right? So we, you, you've heard me refer to him in this episode as Mr. Warmth. That, that is his, was it a given or was it an assumed nickname that basically is the exact opposite of, of Don Rickles' uh, performance. I'd be shocked if anybody gave it to him. I, I mean, if he, if he, I'd, I'd be shocked rather if he gave it to himself. I think, I think Don's a, a kindness from someone else. Yes, yes. Uh, Don, Don Rickles made his career on insulting as many people as possible in as wonderful a way as possible all throughout his life. That, that was his act, was if you wanted to be insulted, you went to go see Don Rickles. It's the king of the roasts. He elevated it to an art. He, he, he absolutely did, and, and then took that career of, of being a, a, a nightclub comic first, I think, and then you know taking over Vegas, essentially just became Vegas for a long time, and, and, and turned it into a movie career. I mean, he's in, he's in movies with, with everybody, you name it. He was in movies with Clint Eastwood. He's in movies directed by Scorsese. You know, the dude was in Casino, you know, the, one, of the, one of the greatest mobster picks of all time. There's Don Rickles. And- it's one of my favorite roles of his too, because he's so understated. He's so like unRickles like in that movie. Yes, and he's and he's in one of my favorite movies, which we may end up talking about on a future season uh, of subgenre Kelly's Heroes. Oh right. yeah, that was the uh, that was with Clint Eastwood. Right? That was with Clint Eastwood. That's a that's that is a glorious movie. I we will so take good. time to to explore that movie in depth at some point. Cool. Very good. Very good. Let's take a break. What if, and follow me here, what if the Mona Lisa at the Louvre Museum in Paris is a fake? Or what if artist Vincent Van Gogh, you know, the sunflowers and starry night guy, he didn't kill himself. 
but instead was actually murdered. You'll hear these incredible stories and a lot more when you subscribe to the Art Curious Podcast. How did a cutthroat rivalry between two Renaissance masters culminate in one of the greatest artworks of all time? And was a British painter actually the real Jack the Ripper? On Art Curious, host and, truth be told, my lovely-voiced wife, Jennifer Dassel, explores the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. And do you need to love art or even know anything about it to love this show? Are you kidding me? Before listening to Art Curious, I knew exactly nothing about fine art or the weird and amazing stories that seem to follow around some of its most iconic works and artists. Like, how did Leonardo's Salvador Mundi become the most expensive artwork ever sold at auction? And where has it disappeared to ever since? A best of recommendation by reviewers at Oh The Oprah Magazine, PC Magazine, Salon, Uproxx, it goes on and on. Art Curious is podcast storytelling for the art lover and the art novice, like me, and maybe you. It's the juiciest, the most shocking, and the most fascinating tales from the world of paintbrushes, printmakers, and patrons. Season 9 is out now, so subscribe today to the Art Curious Podcast with Jennifer Dassel and find out more about the show at artcuriouspodcast.com or by searching for Art Curious, that's one word, in your favorite podcast app. The Art Curious Podcast, that's A-R-T-C-U-R-I-O-U-S. The Art Curious Podcast, subscribe for Season 9 now. You're back listening to Subgenre. We have been talking about Run Silent, Run Deep with Fabian Marquez, our guest host. It's time for Rave Rental or Refund. So this is the part where we talk about whether we would go see this thing in a theater. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's assume it's 1958. Uh, we, okay. we, we give it a rave review. We'd go pay good money and go see it in the theater. Is it a rental? Do we wait for it to uh, come to home video? Not a 1958 thing, but let's just, for the purposes of this bit, let's, let's assume that it is. Or is it a refund? Is it so bad that we're demanding our money back? Fabian Marquez. Uh, I'm going to go with rave. I would recommend it. Um, uh, there was a New York Times critic, Bosley Crowther, who said it's a straight tale of undersea adventure, all male and all submarine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know with that sentence. I don't know if I was watching exactly the same film as Bosley, but I would say definitely check it out. If you like submarine films, if you like films, Robert Weiss behind it, this cast, you can't miss it. You, you should definitely check it out. All male, all submarine. I think you. I think that's the tagline when it plays on the Bungo channel. Um, I am gonna give it. I'm also gonna give it a rave. I, I surprisingly so. I thought. I thought for. Uh, you know, not surprisingly because of the cast or anything, but I just thought. Oh yeah, I'll watch it. It'll be fine. It turns out I. I really enjoyed this movie, so uh, it gets a rave from me. That's two raves. Hey man, it's a rave. Let's it, go. Let's party. Well, hey, I want to. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time to be here on Subgenre for sharing uh, your knowledge, your expertise, your excitement for not only this film but but really this this subgenre. So thank you for being here. Tell the people uh, where they can find you and uh, plug away. Uh, well, let's see. I'm on Instagram, Fabian Marquez. Um, I have recently produced and written on a sci-fi series with uh, some European partners that you can watch on Crackle called Spides. All episodes are streaming now. Um, and I've got some other fun stuff in the works that hopefully we can talk about um, you know, down the road. I absolutely want to do that. Fabian Marquez, thank you so much for being here on Subgenre. Thank you, Josh. This was so much fun. Thank you.
You've been listening to Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. Subgenre is a production of Kabunki and is recorded and mixed at Studio K. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by me, Josh Dassel, alongside my guest host, Fabian Marquez. Our theme music is Still Room on the Night Train by Ketza featuring Solar Flare. If you love the show and you need more, subscribe and leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever else you found us. Believe me when I say it's massive in helping other listeners find us just like you did. For even more subgenre and to support us with a donation, visit our website, subgenrepodcast.com. We also do the Insta and Twitter thing, both at subgenrepod. We'll welcome you back soon for our next episode. But in the meantime, please remember, we're all different. No matter what your subgenre, be good to who you meet. That's a wrap. Bunky. Oh.